everybody. This is cartoonist Judd Winnick. Reality TV has been from the real world, former writer of Batman, current cartoonist on a series called Hilo. And you are listening to Spoiler Country. Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. the goat of the spoilerverse and welcome back to spoiler country i'm johnny horsley and today on the show well it's judd winnick it's uh you know he was star of the 1994 real world san francisco uh he is a cartoonist he is the creator of the jason todd red hood who if you talk to my son jacob it's the best character out there in the world and uh kenrick and i got a chance to sit down and chat with him about the real world experience he had and about writing his first graphic novel, what he's currently doing with Hilo, which is a fantastic kids series out there and how we got into that. And we do talk about Jason Todd and Red Hood as well. So, so without me rambling anymore, let's go ahead and hear Judd Winnick in his own words. All right, guys, welcome back to the show today on the show. It's super exciting because I don't know. Maybe you're a fan of the Red Hood. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe your kids read Tylo. I don't know. Maybe they do. But maybe you're a giant fan of the real world from back in the 90s when it actually was a good show to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Judd Winnick, man, thanks so much for coming on. Kendrick, Johnny, it's great to be here. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, it's really good to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So how's everything and, uh, going, man? What's going on in the Winnick household? We are good. We are, you know, like everyone else, we are we are hanging in there. I, I caught myself. I almost said, you know, as good as one could, you know, po- you know, could expect under these circumstances. Right. What is what you say at funerals? You right. know, <laughs> you know, it's like no, we're doing, you know, we're, we're doing things, we're doing okay, all things considered. But we are, we are very, very lucky. Everybody within our, you know, family circle and social circle is is healthy. Yep. You know, we are dealing with, you know, we finished up with the homeschooling. I've got a teenage boy and a preteen girl. Oh man, uh, our kids! Uh, I should mention those are my children, not just random people we have in the house. <laughs> I was wondering <laughs> for a second there. Yeah, I was saying what the hell I was talking about. What I um, found a baby once. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, nah, so the kids uh, they finished up school, and now we're doing like you know this the the, the bullshit virtual camp summer stuff. Yeah. My wife Pam is a physician, oh, so she's cool. been very busy with well what, just being a doctor right what, now. What's your stance uh, on the masks? I have, should wear them when they go outside. <laughs> I am I am losing friends on social media and old friends that I've known since like elementary school over the stupid thing. 
because they're refusing to wear it and i and i call them out on i'm like why why is this your line in the sand it's strange it is a strange i I think people I, i don't I don't know if people fully grasp like you're protecting other people, not yourself. Yeah. And that you may be asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic. And I'm sorry, this is brunch conversation in our household. But, yeah, no, it's uh, good. You, you know, you may be walking and talking around with the virus yourself, forgetting that you're young and healthy and you're not going to get it. You might pass it along to someone else. That is why you wear the mask. You wear a mask to protect other people. Now, if you're saying like, oh, there's no way I possibly got it. Well, what if you're wrong? Yeah. You know, Aren't we yeah. wrong now and again? Don't you just want, you know, and, and you know, I, and I guess the flip side would be also, let's talk about how much masks suck. They do. They're yeah. really uncomfortable. Yeah. They're not a lot of fun. You know, do you have trouble breathing? Yeah. For the first couple of minutes we put it on, you're really uncomfortable. If you get a little winded, yeah, they're really uncomfortable. Yeah, of course they suck. That's why we don't always wear them because they're fashionable and fun. No, they're terrible. <laughs> but you know, but we're 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 tough people. You know, we we Americans. We right. can we can push for we can push through this. So we're going to wear masks for several months until we get past this. And that's yeah. That is my stance and my that's, my two cents on masks. Yeah, I um, I one hundred percent agree with you. I to me, it's like it's a weird line in the sand. It is. I, I laugh when people go. Well, I'm a, I'm American. It's my <laughs> rights. That's like, what are you talking about? You, just because you're walking into Walmart that's open to the public, it's still a private. It's it's still someone's location. It's still some somebody else's property. It's private it's property. Private property. Yeah. Dude, I have I have a 17 year old son. Getting him to understand this is it's a pain in the ass. And if they're saying you can't come in without a mask, guess what? You can't come in without a mask. Well, it's just and I, the, the logic doesn't the logic doesn't hold up at all under like any kind of scrutiny. Yeah, where you know it's like I'm an American. I don't have to wear a mask if I don't want to. It's like what, like red lights? You know, <laughs> right? It's Not like, wearing your seatbelt. I don't, I don't believe in stopping in traffic. My this whole thing. I'm an American, and if I want to just keep driving, <laughs> I'm going to keep driving. It's like, well, you know, you do that, you might hit someone. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? I'm good at what I do. I'm healthy. I'm young, and I won't hit anybody. You know, it's, it, it, it never holds up. My, my very special friend says, Hey, if you don't want to wear your mask, then I'm assuming you don't believe in vaccinations either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you don't believe in any preventative measures. So why, why? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm actually hoping the mask thing goes away in a couple of weeks. You know, things are getting really, really terrible here and there that I'm hoping a couple more weeks of this utter nonsense and people will start putting on masks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's my hope. That's me too. I, I just can't wait for this to be uh, at least get down to a manageable rate. You know what I mean? Where it's not just keeps going and keeps going. And I feel like other countries are starting to get it right. And we're still yeah, we, just haggling we, over the dumbest things. Yeah. We, we, you would think we would learn from that, but I, I think really right now we're still in the, I mean, we've been in the car crash. The, the car has not stopped spinning yet. Right. We've been in the car crash for months. And while we've been in this car That's crash, we analogy. just got hit by another car. So it's not, it's not in the second wave. We actually didn't quite finish with this first one. So I believe that I believe that I think lessons will be learned this time around. We're not going to hoard food this time around. Toilet we're paper, gonna, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, well, toilet paper was a thing. Toilet paper was a real thing. At first, toilet paper companies were actually saying that it's like, yeah, we don't know what's going on, why people are doing it. Then I think we all read the same articles, which is, oh, toilet paper companies no longer could sell. Well, people no longer went to work and <laughs> people used to go to work and they used the bathrooms at their workplace. Now they're not going to work and they're at home and using all their toilet paper. So it was actually, they weren't just hoarding. It was a real thing. I read a thing yeah. where it said 
the toilet paper hoarding is this is not the first time this has actually happened. And it, what it is, is people hear the word pandemic and they hear, you know, everybody needs to be shut in basically. And then they freak out. They don't know what to do or they don't have the means to do what is necessary, but toilet paper is cheap. And you yeah. feel like I can get that. So they get three, four, five, six, ten packs of toilet paper. And then all of a sudden you, you have a run on it. And it's just like, oh. I think it absolutely started that way. It was a moment of panic and everyone just went for it. Yeah. And as the weeks went on, it's like, why is there still no toilet paper? It's like, yeah. well, we all bought it. <laughs> and then also like, well, doesn't everyone have the toilet paper now? It's like, yeah, most everyone is supplied. But then the then they had to admit like, oh, okay, we're actually going through more toilet paper because we're not, you know, toilet paper companies apparently sell a lot of, let's use the joke, a shit ton of toilet paper yeah. <laughs> to, uh, to offices and restaurants and movie theaters and all yeah. these other places. Which are no longer being used. So we're using, and and they're not selling that toilet paper to. They're not selling that cheap giant stuff that you steal when you're in college, or rather Sorry. that I hear that some young men <laughs> would, occasionally, <laughs> would occasionally go to lower end restaurants and maybe borrow the large rolls of toilet paper from <laughs> from restaurants because they were they were like really super, super broke. poor. I've, I've heard I've heard stories. I, I, yeah, I, I don't I, know this. I've heard those same may stories. I have had some <laughs> friends, quote unquote. That have participated <laughs> in this act. <laughs> that that is my statement, and I stand by it. <laughs> That's your story. You sticking to it? <laughs> yep, sure am. So, tell us about Hilo. Yeah, after writing uh, superhero comics for twelve years, yeah, and a bunch of other stuff. About let's see, how old's my son now? So about uh, yeah, so about eight years ago. Eight years ago, I was still, I was kind of coming towards what would be the end of my tenure at, at DC Comics. I was just, I, I kind of, I was just hitting a creative wall. Yeah. I, I'd written so many superhero comics for so long. And it was also around this time that my son was getting an itch. He's seven years old. He wanted to, he wanted to read some of my superhero comics. You know, yeah. he's seven. He's getting in there. And like, so he said, dad, can I read some of your superhero comics? Can I read like, can I read your, 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 your Batman comics? that you wrote and i had to tell him oh my batman comics no you may not read those because <laughs> you're you're seven and they're kind of intense and they're, you know, they're not they're not yeah. uber violent yeah but he's seven and you know they're kind of dense they're kind of violent they got stuff going on so i started digging around for you know some good comic books for him and for kids there are there really isn't that much right but but what i gave them is i gave him jeff smith's bone Oh. So, you know, I gave him Bone, and he just loved it. And he just blew through all nine graphic novels and just lost his damn mind. Oh, that's so, awesome. I'm incredibly lucky because I actually know Jeff Smith. Jeff's yeah. a buddy of mine for yeah. like a long time. So He's coming on um, like next this week or something. Or next oh, week, yeah. Ah, okay, tell him I told the damn Hilo story again. <laughs> I um, will. <laughs> tell him what I'm talking about. I tell us one all the time because it has the benefit of being true. So yeah, so I went actually told Jeff. So I, I I rang Jeff up and told him that Jeff, my son just went crazy, go nuts, bananas for bone. And Jeff said that that is awesome. Tell you what, keep it on your mailbox. I'm gonna send you guys something. So he didn't send us something. He sent us a gigantic box of merchandise. Oh, like, cool. Hey, everything i mean yeah. stuff they didn't even make anymore so we had action figures stuffed animals t-shirts hats uh, posters what a good guy calendars which were like you know a couple years old but had the art and original cartoons on it and i gave it all to my son and my son flat out just became a bone 
super fan. He's playing with the action figures. He's wearing the T-shirt. He's got the counters hung up in his room. And I'm taking a step back from this, and I got kind of jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm a cartoonist, and I figure – you know, I should be able to make a story that he likes as much as Bone. Yeah. So that is that is when I sat down and tried to figure out what's an all ages series that I want to do. You know, I mean, I'm a cartoonist. You know, I, I write and draw. Right. So, so I, I I kicked it around, and what eventually came out of it was I, I did a book on spec. I did a 200 page graphic novel. It was like wow. you know, pen, penciled and lettered, ready to go. And, and I did not know what I was going to do with it. If I, if, I, if I had to do it through Kickstarter, I would have. Right. But luckily, my agent sent it out to publishing houses. And uh, this small independent publisher named Random House. <laughs> it's very uh, tiny. Very tiny. Yeah. Very, independent. They, they're a comer. They're a comer. Yeah, I got they're a comer. For them, you know? yeah. For those playing at home, Random House is the largest publisher of books in the English language. That's an actual fact. That's a quote. For that a long PR time now, to too, out. right? Yeah, Penguin Random House is like they're monstrous. Yeah. So, so Random House has started publishing my series. So the first book came out. First Hilo book came out in 2015. Humble brag. It's been a bestseller. The uh, sixth one just came out this past February. And uh, yeah, I'm, and they're coming out about one a year, and they're in like seven or eight languages. And and wow. it's it's a good it's a good time. Yeah, I what, have what's very the, little to complain about. What's the general concept of the book? Oh, it's it's like a superhero book in disguise. The the, the quick elevator like pitch is that uh, there's a little boy named DJ DJ Lim. He's a he's a kid who's in a he's in, he's in the middle of an overachieving family. He's the middle kid. He's got two older brothers, two younger sisters. They're all great at shit. He is just not good at anything. He's not bad at anything. He's just okay. He's he's a kid who's literally stuck in the middle. But he used to be awesome friends with his next door neighbor Gina. It was the one thing he was great at was being this girl's best friend. And then when he's seven, she moved away. (laughs) And since then, he hasn't been good at anything. So we find him. He's 10 years old. He's in his backyard feeling kind of sorry for himself when he sees in the sky a ball of fire that comes falling out of the sky, out of the clear blue sky, and crashes in his backyard. And then he runs over into the crater, and he finds another little boy, unconscious and just wearing silver underpants. And this kid is Hilo. And we will find out that this kid Hilo actually is from a whole different place, and he's got superpowers. And suddenly, giant robots show up and try and kill them. And it's yeah, it's a what's called a middle grade book. So it's for uh, for kids. It's it means geared for kids eight to twelve. Yeah. But it's honestly, I feel like it's a pretty pretty all ages book. Thankfully, I there's a lot of crossover comic book moms and dads who read my stuff when I was doing superhero comics who delightfully have either found it because they had children or just found it on their own. So it's if you like Bone, if you like Pixar movies, it's it's in that vein. Yeah. So but, it's but the big question is, yeah, did you win your son over? Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, you know, when I finished the even before it was getting published, I finished a draft of the book. And you know, I printed. I mean, I, I drew it out on a eleven by seventeen board, and I photocopied it. And I gave him a binder, you know, a photocopied, you know, the photocopied version of the book. And I, you know, I, told, I asked him, I said, you know, could you, could you take a look at this? You read this. So he's about yeah. eight at the time. And he kind of looks at it and thumbs through it and said, yeah, OK. 
could you give it back to me when you're finished? <laughs> so he, he wanted inked and in color and like, you know, a book. It's like, yeah, no, I, I, I feel you. But so I, demanding. I yeah, well, you know, you, you standards, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Super high standards of an eight-year-old. Yeah. No, forget this rough draft shit. You know, bring, you know, bring me the real stuff. I want it polished. Um, but yeah, no, I gave it to him and then he, he took it up to his room and uh, he, and then he didn't come out for two hours. Oh, which, that's a good you know, sign. He, yeah, no, he read it in one sitting. They came back down and you know told me. I was like, yeah, what'd you think? Because oh, I was great. It was really, really funny. And I like this part. I thought this was really cool to hear. I like it. Can I read the next one? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Daddy needs about another year. But <laughs> but um, no, no, no. That, that was good. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah. So so he and my daughter, you you won't find bigger. Hilo fans than them. Yeah, it's it's a family project. I started doing it when they were little, so they've sort of they've lived through it for the last five years plus. And they read it first, and they have they have notes, they have thoughts. So it's cool. I'm being very very lucky cool. in that way. I I honestly I live like a ten year old. I I make things up and then I draw them. You know, <laughs> you know when I, when I was a kid, I used how to do draw you beat pictures that? Why half? How do I what? How do you beat that? Yeah, you don't. I don't. I don't know how. I. I actually. I don't want to know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> this. This works just fine for me. You know, it's. It's a great life. It really is. That's awesome. That's awesome. When did you figure out this is what I'm going to do? I'm doing comics because it's not the best paying job out there. No, but you know, well, there is some truth to it being a young man's game. Yeah, at least at least when you start. Yeah. I, growing up, I wanted to do a comic strip. That's all I wanted to do. Like a I, Calvin uh, and Hobbes? When I, was, when I was about seven, eight years old, I fell in love with Garfield, and that's all I wanted to do with my life. Me too. Uh, did you join? Did you do? Because I was the same age when I got into to, into Garfield. You know, I was like second, third grade, somewhere around there. And mm-hmm. when I was in fifth or sixth grade, so I'm just behind you, right? I'm, I'm, you, you and I are very close in age. And, okay. Uh, did you do the Jim Davis uh contest that he had in the early <laughs> 80s to create a new character remember he had garfield but he also had that other strip about con- that was out on the farm yeah the farm well, yeah and he, and he had a contest to who could who could create a new character for that strip and i don't think that strip lasted very long no it didn't last very long at all which seems shocking but you know it's it's Comic strips were extremely Darwinian, you know, yeah. like, you know the, only the strong survived at all. Yeah, I totally remember that strip. I also remember, yeah, it was like, yeah, he was, he was strong exactly like Garfield. I think it was supposed to be one of John Arbuckle's cousins or something. Yeah, yeah, he looked, yeah. He looked like John with them dumb mustache. Uh-huh. A, pig. A, lot of, a lot of pig jokes, right? A lot of pig so jokes. I just remember <laughs> they had it. I, and I, I ask people this all the time because I, I meet Garfield fans, but they're not Garfield fans from like when you and I were Garfield fans when – you know, it was at the height of Garfield. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, and it came out new. Yeah, I mean, and it I, came out new, I mean, and you're like, oh, da 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 da. And he had this contest, and I can never meet anybody that remembers this contest because <laughs> they had it, they uh, ran it in the elementary schools. And right. I was like, oh, and I created a character. It was a beaver that was a vegetarian that loved steak. <laughs> and that was my character, and, and I never heard anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That that's about that's about the low grade humor they were doing there anyway. Right. I think that that was a good pitch. That that that. I was like nine. I, w- I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if you made like top thirty. You didn't hear because you didn't get down to it because it wound up being, you know, I don't know, very much like a character that Jim had in mind in the first place. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Um, 
you know, and that was, and I, I'm sure the contest was just to get asses in the seats. Um, but I don't remember the contest. Was it, and, and was it like through like the Scholastic magazine or something at school? I think so. Yeah, it was like 83, okay. 82, All right. somewhere around there. Maybe, oh, maybe even eighty one. Okay. Well, if it, if it was around, I'm fifty. Yeah. So 80, 82 puts me at twelve years old, and I'm and I'm moving on to Bloom County. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. See, uh, I'm ensconced into Garfield, and I went from Garfield right into Calvin and Hobbes. Okay, yeah, I was I was Calvin Hobbes. I think I uh, started in eighty five. Yeah, somewhere around there. Uh, maybe later, maybe even later than that. Could have been so like eighty six. Yeah, I was already a crabby teenager by then. But I love Calvin Hobbes. I'm <laughs> oh not saying God. I didn't. It, it was it was a different influence for me. Yeah, um, I, Calvin Hobbes is one of the few books that are strips that I actually read and cried because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's not a lot. Like I love Doonesbury and Bill the Cat. You know, with you know and all that. And yep, yep. But I but the humor was too highbrow for me. Like I <laughs> honestly, some of the jokes I just did not get. I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> but yeah, Calvin Hobbes you know, spoke well, to me. Doonesbury is not, it, it, it's, it's not necessarily laugh out loud funny. You yeah. know, it's, 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 it's a political commentary. Yeah. It's a particular Probably thing. Probably why I didn't get it. You know, and uh, Bloom County used to crack me the fuck up. Bloom <laughs> County is, Bloom County is why I'm a cartoonist. That's awesome. Um, and the far I mean, side. I, I, I owe more to, I owe more to Bloom County than probably any single piece of work in the world. Is there a particular uh, strip that, that just resonates with you? Oh, you know, I think I, I can remember the very first one I read. Ish. I hadn't even my grandmother, who lived in Florida, which actually is where Burke Breathed is from, and the strip started, hadn't even come. I grew up in New York and the, the strip didn't even make it out there yet. But she had sent me she had sent me like one of the Sunday one of the local Sunday magazines, like the inserts. Parade magazine was the national magazines it was some local something from the miami herald or something right. which is doing a cover story on on burke breathed and it had just like you know seven or eight of his strips in there and there was one where opus and some of the gang are at a, a no nukes protest is, is they're against nuclear weapons and uh opus is there and there's a cockroach who is yelling at opus saying that you're you know it's like you're all you like you're all just wasting your time you are all wasting your time you're going to blow yourselves up. It's inevitable. You will be gone. And we cockroaches will be around here as we always have been. <laughs> we will be here when the world ends. There is no stopping us. And then Opus steps on her. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, holy I love shit, it. Did I think that was funny and mean and awesome. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it, it just, just about killed me. I thought it was great. And mine, then I was just di dying to get the strip. Mine was when Calvin takes the family of snowmen and has the car and he puts the base on the hood of the car, <laughs> then the mid and then the head and all the other snowmen are going around it and they have their sticks up to their cheeks with the big O face going, Oh my God. And I lost it. That was it. I was like, I love this cartoon. That was, that was the end of it. I can't name my favorite Calvin and Hobbes, my favorite Calvin and Hobbes. And I post it at least once a year just to say, like, this is my favorite Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. Uh, Calvin is hammering nails into, into, his, into his family's coffee table. And his mother comes in like, Calvin, what are you doing to my coffee table? And in the third panel, he's looking down at the coffee table for a beat. And he looks up at her and says, is this kind of, some kind of trick question or something? <laughs> 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 it's 
still kills me. It's like, like wow. That's it's like the clever. best. I know. It's just so smart and clever on so many levels. You know, ignoring – and also on top of that, like he's just hammering nails at his coffee table. It's just awesome. Yeah. Just, you know, he's a monster. It's great. So so you're doing – so you get you, you you find your passion at a, at a pretty young age, obviously. Yeah, I'm sorry. You, a million years ago, you asked me about comic books. No, it's okay. So, it's yeah. okay. This uh, is this is how we roll, man. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I all I ever wanted to do is comic strips, and I start um, doing. So I, I want to get because you have kind of a, a weird runoff there. You, you like you have a runoff. Run- so it, it's an it's an unusual path and journey that got me to where yeah to where you're at doing. because yeah for sure because okay so you must have been around eighteen. 19 when you read a death in the family batman's a death in the family and they blow yes. up jason todd yes, yes and then yes. <clears throat> many years a, a few years later you're on tv <laughs> how, did this, how did this when, happen well in 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 dog years it's many many years later it, yeah. i mean it's it's a, you know i, I want to say and you're on like what death the third the family, season 86 87 yeah somewhere around there say. yeah okay, 87 so 88 somewhere around there. I, was, I was 16 17 and uh, the very short version of the story, I went off to college, yeah. as one as one as some of us do. I went to the University of Michigan, good school, and I was uh, pursuing my my dream of doing a syndicated comic strip. So I managed to get my comic strip in the Michigan Daily, which is oh, that's awesome. which is the school paper and actually a fairly prestigious uh, college paper. So I was very very lucky. I was very very fortunate. And for three and a half years, I did a daily comic strip, five days a week. Nuts! It was called Nuts and Bolts. And I did it five days a week. He's, and uh, what's that? Can people find it? They can find maybe the 3,200 copies that that we made. We did a collection my uh, senior year. And there's about, yeah, there's about 3,200 of them that we made and sold. So they're floating around out there. I have not posted them online. At some point, maybe I will. Yeah. They're, they're not great, thankfully. You don't want to look. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to look back at the stuff you did when you were 22 and go like, wow, this is awesome. You I'm take a note, Johnny? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> Yeah, Thank you for that. Yeah, you should always be improving. Look back at your old stuff and wince. That's that's what you're going for. Um, but this all leads to before I graduated, I actually got a development deal with Universal Press Syndicate. They, I was very very lucky, very fortunate. They they gave me a development deal where I would I would do a comic strip for them for a year, sending my strip into them, and then we would review it. They give, give me notes, and after a year of tussling around with them and getting better at it in their eyes, then they would syndicate me. So this was the dream. This is exactly, everything's working out exactly the way it was supposed to. I go off to college, I'm a college trip, and now I'm going to get syndicated at 22. Damn. Just just like my idols, uh, Burke Breathitt of Bloom County and Gary Chideau of Doonesbury. Those guys got syndicated one year out of college as well. So this was <laughs> this was my plan. Right. And and you wouldn't could not find a more you know, big headed egotistical idiot than me at this point, because all, <laughs> oh shit. It's all, it's all just come together. Let me walk man. into this room sideways so I can get my ego through. <laughs> oh yeah. If it, if it, that make way, the King is coming. Um, I love it. Then about nine months into my development deal, uh, universal press syndicate called me to tell me that they, th- they didn't think it was going to work out. They didn't actually. They didn't think my strip was up to the current professional standards necessary for the competitive market. So I think one of the one of the direct quotes. Oh my god! And so they you go deflating a do, and you you could have you could have just killed me. Oh, uh, it would it would have would have hurt less because again this was like this is the whole plan coming together, 
and and it just it, it was over. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, I had no plan B. This is, <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. I, I, I had, had no, no usable skills. No, I had a fine art degree. I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was you bred know, not to a, have a backup plan. <laughs> fine, a fine art degree with a, with a concentration on drawing and painting, which then makes me, I have the skills to just die. <laughs> just, I, just to starve and die. I've got nothing. So with that, I did the very proud thing. I moved back in with my mom and dad. Been there. You know, yeah, yeah. So my less than, less than a year out of college, I'd move back in with my mom and dad. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And I'm sitting on my butt the summer of 1993, and I'm watching, I'm watching season two of The Real World. And there's a commercial during season two of The Real World. Yep. You know, the, the commercial was, do you want to be on season three of MTV's Real World San Francisco? Send us a letter and a photo telling us why we should pick you. That show was and, the biggest thing at that time. It was you couldn't be on a bigger show. Yeah, we all and well, we were all watching it too. Yeah, I mean, you know, in yeah. college, I was watching the first season, and there was the the first four seasons I watched. Yeah, I watched I watched the first two, and the third one was you know compulsory that I you yeah. know I participated, so I figured I'd watch it. So yeah, so so with that, I I you know you auditioned. I you know I sent in a letter. And it was a six-month process to get on the show where you you send in a letter and a photo. If they like the cut of your jib, they you fill out a 15-page application, you do a video, then they interview you on the phone when someone's like filming you, and then they send a camera, uh, a cameraman or and or woman to film you for a day. They follow you around for cameras for a day. Then they flew me out to Los Angeles for final interviews. It took six wow. months. And then holy shit, you know, after six months and apparently thirty thousand people tried out. I won oh, the lottery. Shit. I got to be on the show. Yeah. So I was 24 years old. I, I turned 24 the day we began filming the show. Wow. Yeah, that was wild. It was really – so it was one of those things. So I had my head completely caved in by having my cartooning career just you know, it's kind of evaporate in front of me. But then I got to go on what was supposed to be this kind of cool and stupid thing. Right. Which is what I was planning on, cool and stupid. That's all I really thought – it was going to be, and it wound up being, you know, so much more than that. You know, it, it, it's uh, where to begin. I could do another hour on this, but yeah. for those playing at home, I was on season three of MTV's Real World, featured Paige Zamora, yep. who was a 22-year-old AIDS educator and activist who was a very good friend who, you know, we, my, my wife Pam and I, I should I'm jumping ahead. I'm burying the lead. That's okay. So another one of my roommates in the show was a young man, a young, a young lady named Pam Ling, who was a uh, medical student at the time. Well, after the show was over, we fell in love, got married. And oh, that's so cool. I had no idea. <laughs> did you Did you not know that? No, I'm I did sorry. not know that. That is awesome. <laughs> yes. So my housemate, Pam Ling, who was on the show, we met. We met doing the show. And we started dating. There she is. I'm looking at after that picture right now. There yeah. you are. Yeah. Actually, today, in, uh, today being uh, well, it's, it's June 30th, and June 30th is uh, the day the, the show started airing, actually. Yeah. 26 years ago. So that's how we met, you know, doing this crazy show. Wait, we're on the anniversary of the show for 26 years ago? 26 years ago. How weird it started, is that? It started airing. <laughs> so June 30th on a Thursday, 10 p.m. and started airing for the first time. Wow. And yeah, and about, I don't know, about two months after that, or after this is when Pam and I started dating. Long after the cameras had gone away. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which is how you should do it. I recommend that to everybody. Uh, right. If you're going to be on a reality don't, don't, show, don't yeah. do it on camera. Yeah. yeah <laughs> wait, wait till later if you can. It's, it, 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 trust me. I've got 26 years of everything working out just fine to tell you that it's a better idea. Well, the real world was, was I mean, the way they shot it, the way they, they, the way they scripted it, the way they did everything, especially in the night when they first started doing it was completely genius. And how much of it when you're watching it is them egging you guys to do certain things or did they ever just give you a script and say, can you say this to this person? Well, as, as a reminder, so this was 26 years ago. That's right. It's 1994. I figured it was safe to ask that question now. Yeah. yeah, No, it's more than fair. And no, I'm just clarifying for the gang out there as, as a genre. So when The Real World was on back in 1994, there were two reality shows on TV. There was the real world and there was cops. That's and, right. And that was it. That was the only reality TV we had. And for our season, I can't speak for anybody else's season. I can't speak for any other reality show. They didn't tell us to do anything. Oh, wow. Cool. Ever. ever. The most they ever told us to do, and I, I swear to you, this is it. They would Sometimes when we'd be leaving the house, they would tell us, can you guys wait? a couple of minutes so we can gather ourselves. And that literally meant that we're going to be walking out the door and they just need the crew to go with us. And they had to suit up. Yeah. Uh, and that was it. Aside from that, they never told us to do anything, you know, I mean, with the exception of maybe, Hey, when you're drinking sodas, you got to pour them out of a can and put them in a glass. So we don't have to, you know, spend extra time in editing to fuzz them out. Could yeah. you guys do that? You know, there were some rules here and there, you know, some things we have to do. You got to go to the confessional for like half an hour at the end of every week. You have to do a two hour interview. Those are the interviews where you look directly at camera. Yeah. Um, but you know, keep in mind, this is a, this is a long time ago. And a lot of yeah. this was still in the experimental phase. Yeah. They, they were still were they figuring cr- out how to do this. Don't they credit real world as, as one of the first unscripted, you know, reality based TV shows like that. I oh, think it sure. is. No, no, it, it definitely created the genre. And most of the people who worked on our show and our season went on to do most of the reality TV that, you know, now everything from, you know, you know, one of, you know, one of our associate producers, you know, Clay Newbill, he created Shark Tank and then, and Mac Kunitz, who was a production assistant, you know, did Fear Factor and I, I go on and on and on. Like, you know, all, all the all the men and women who worked on our show went on to do everything you could think of in reality TV. Yeah. All of the big shows. And what was it like when they told you, are you going to be comfortable uh, possibly living with somebody that was HIV positive? Because at that time, it was a lot different than how it is today. And, and there was a lot of fear mongering. People didn't understand a lot of stuff still. It was still, I mean, you're talking barely a decade since the first HIV cases became public knowledge yeah this is still in in comparatively early early days yeah. i mean the first cases started popping up 82 83 yeah everything was pretty full-blown by 80 45 well and it was only um, three years removed from magic johnson saying he was hiv positive yeah no and he yes that was uh, I, I think uh 91? 91 or so yeah 91 92 and there was no combination drug therapy there was basically no viable medical treatment for it. So if you tested positive for HIV, it's very much a death sentence um, for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And you just didn't know when you, I mean, we know more about it now that 
in some cases it was the it was the strength of the virus you had and whatnot. I mean, I can go on and on. And yeah, on, yeah. But for 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 the sake of this conversation, it says 1994, and yeah, during the interview process when we're you know doing our quasi auditions for the show, they brought it up. They asked, "How would you feel about living with someone who's HIV positive?" And uh, you know, I and I've written about this. I mean, I, I did a whole graphic novel about. Not yeah. knowing Pedro, so this is not this is not new information. But I I flat out lied to them, <laughs> and uh, I told them, oh, you know, you, you know, I, I, you know, I, I get that, you know, it's like I, well, I understand, like being on the real world is a, it, the whole experience is about meeting people from, from different walks of life. You get all kinds of different people doing this show, and uh, I don't know anyone who's, who's living with HIV. And I said, I, I guess that's something that you know, I would, I would learn a lot from, Yeah. but internally I'm thinking like, holy shit, they're going to put us in the house. If someone's got AIDS, like, holy shit. Yeah. You know, and am I legit scared? No, but I'm edgy. Yeah. You know, I mean, I am even, you know, at 24, I'm, I'm this, you know, this lefty pinko egghead communist. So, and, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I do, you know, and I, I do truly believe in being open-minded, you know, then and now. But I didn't know anyone was living with HIV. The information was really spotty back then. Yep. The only time you didn't you actually even know you're getting real information. Yeah, yeah. You, the only time you saw people who, were, who had AIDS was in the news. Yeah. And when you saw them on the news, these were young men who were on death's door. Yeah. They looked like they had just stepped out of Auschwitz, and they are covered in Carposi sarcoma legions. So these horrible purple splotches all over the body. They they look like they're they're, they're well they're dying. They were dying. They yeah. Said, that, that was that was the image. I had of someone who was living with AIDS. The media portrayed, yep. And then I met Pedro. I mean, you know, we're doing, you know, within 10 minutes, I met him. And, you know, within 25 minutes, it comes out through just natural conversation. You know, you know, what do you do? And Pedro said, I'm an AIDS educator. It's like, oh, so it's Pedro. Okay. And somewhat unknowingly at the time, I was, I was kind of relieved because in that moment, the, 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 you know, it, the, the dopey thing became obvious that I'm not walking around. I'm not living with the AIDS virus yeah. walking around on two legs. I'm I'm, I'm going to be like, you know, living with, and my roommate is this, this young man, Pedro, you know? Well, and I liked him right off the bat and we would become, we would become really, really good friends. That's cool. Yeah. No. And you know, he changed my life. He changed Pam's life and he changed the lives of, I mean, literally, literally changed the lives of, million millions of people yeah and that's not an overstatement he changed the world it was the first time that people really saw what it was like to be living with aids yeah i remember it was a, it was a big deal it was a really was. big deal <laughs> yes no it was it was his it was it was an international story when he and for those playing at home pedro passed away actually well not long after we finished filming the show and he actually passed away the, the night well, the morning after the last episode aired, it just, and that was just, just a, a fateful thing. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and yeah, President Clinton spoke about him the next day. President Clinton actually called Pedro. We were there. He actually called to speak to him when he got sick. It was, uh, it was a whirlwind. Yeah. It was a crazy time. It was supposed to be, again, it was supposed to be this, this just cool and idiotic thing that we did. And then it just um, turned out to be so we, much more. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> no, it changed my life in ways that I can, I can, that I shudder to think if I was if if I didn't go on this this dopey show, how different would you, know? you be today? I don't I don't you know. There's there's two human beings upstairs who are still finishing dinner, uh, <laughs> you know, who uh, who wouldn't be here if I didn't get picked to go on this this dopey reality show. And, That's so crazy, and, you know, Isn't it weird and, and decisions oh, you make in life. You, you know, 
you know, it's, and from what I hear it, a little moments there was touch and go where, uh, you know, that I almost wasn't going to be on the show. Yeah. Yeah. They were going to go with somebody else and, you know, and I would not have met Pam and I would not have my life the way it is. I just, you know, I, again, shudder to think about it. Yeah. That's just insane. It's insane. I know. No one thinks it's crazier than me. Believe me. Nothing. It's still not normal. So on a, (laughs) on a lighter note, you, you get done with TV you find yourself, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Real world's done. I'm, I've watched right. it. What are you thinking? Are you like, Hey, I, I I'll, I'll just go write comics at that point. Or, or <laughs> did you go, how do I get to this point of doing something that I know I'm going to love? It kind of comes full circle. I, I, I pursued doing a comic strip again. I got syndicated for a number of years. I did nice. a comic strip for creator syndicate. It was called frumpy. The clown. It was, it was, I, I spun off one of my characters from my, my college strip. And I was doing that. I, I was. It was also. Uh, I had. I had my, my day job because because comic comic stripping doesn't pay the bills quite right away. You got to yeah. get it like a bunch of papers. So I was illustrating the complete Idiots Guide series, which was the ripoff version of the Dummies Guides. I remember yes. the complete idiot. It's yeah. still going, right? Yeah, they yeah. still do you're, stuff. You're only, you're only a couple of years younger than me. You remember? Yeah, yeah. The dumb, yeah. So there was a rip off of the dummies guys called the Idiots Guides. Yep. Uh, I, I I illustrated about 800 of those. Wow. I don't think I'm. I yeah. I, I'm not exaggerating. I was churning them out and making a decent living doing that while doing the comic strip. Then at one point, that's cool though. It's kind of cool. Well, <laughs> it's yeah. No, it was it was good. It was a busy time. Pam was in residency. We're living in the tiny little apartment in San Francisco and I'm doing the comic strip and I'm illustrating these books. And also for a number of years, Pam and I uh, were lecturing uh, about Pedro. We were doing AIDS education, but mostly we were, we were going around to colleges and high schools and talking about Pedro. That's cool. We stopped doing it because it it just got too hard to do. It just got too emotionally draining. Yeah. Uh, Over and over again to just go someplace and, you know, spend an hour and a half with some kids and talk about what it was like to know him and lose him. So we stopped and while I was doing the comic strip, I just, I just got this itch that I really didn't feel like, well, I, I, I just, I wanted his story to continue. I wanted to be out there in some way, shape or yeah, form. Yeah. I toyed with the idea of creating a character and put it in the comic strip that was kind of based on Pedro. But when I started just doodling and working on it, I was like, yeah, you know what? Let me try to do something else. So I then went through this weird process I'd never done before of making a, what would be a graphic novel. Yeah. I never, I never did it before. I'd read comics my whole life. I was a, I was, I was a fanboy. I think before we were even calling ourselves fanboys. Yep. Um, but I, I, I was a cartoony cartoonist. I was a, I did comic strips. Yeah. But then I, I spent two and a half years adapting this, this lecture that Pam and I gave into a graphic novel. And then when awesome. I was done with the graphic novel, that's when I, before I had a publisher, I said, yeah, you know what? I think that this is how I want to tell stories. And I, I owe that to Pedro too. It, it showed me that like, you know what? I actually thought I wanted to do comic strips, but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I think I want to do this. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I was lucky enough that just happenstance. I met Bob Shrek, editor, editor, Bob Shrek, who was yeah. playing at home. Bob Shrek on many terms was uh, turns. He worked at Dark Horse for a number of years and was Frank Miller's editor on Sin City and, oh, and a bunch of other stuff. I was Matt Wagner's go-to editor. Yeah. And uh, he founded Oni Press yep. back in the day. And he, he actually brought Kevin Smith into writing comic books. Oh, anyway, cool. I met Bob at uh, Comic-Con like in 95, 96. Uh-huh. And uh, we became friends. You know, he actually just like knew me from the show. Like, what do you do? So I do this dumb comic strip. Like, ah, let me check it out. You know, read the comic strip. 
And we got to talking and he said, hey, listen, so we do this anthology book. Uh, do you want to do like your comic strip, like the inside cover? It's like, yeah, sure. You know, so I did. And we kept talking. And when I finished a draft of Pedro and me, I sent it to Bob just to see what he thought. Yeah. Like, you know, so what do you, you do this? And I've done it before. What do you think? And I, Bob was the first professional grown up person <laughs> who read it outside of, you know, Pam. Right. Uh, outside of my wife. And I, I remember sitting in my little tiny little studio in the tiny apartment that we were in San Francisco and, you know, getting, getting the call from Bob Shrek to say like, Hey, listen, this is great. Like, Oh no, thanks. Like, no, no, no. Like, this is a great book, but I'm not, I, I will publish this for you through Oni press, but I think you need to go to a mainstream publisher to try to get it published first. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? It's like, no, no, this is a book and you should try. He said, you know, I'll publish it. We'll publish it for sure. Yeah. Um, but you need to go, you need to get yourself. I mean, and he told me, you need to get a book agent. You go do this and we'll talk. And so I got a book agent and it came out through, uh, Henry Holt published it. And then Bob went over to DC comics from Oni press. He became an editor of DC comics. Yeah. And then he called me and said, do you want to write superhero comics? <laughs> so that's, how, that's how it happened. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. That is so cool. So Jeff, I have so many more questions for you and I know that you, have kind of a hard cutoff around 705, 710. So let us keep going. Let's literally keep going until yeah, I, I'll but tell, I'll tell you what's going on. My, yeah, yeah. Then wife, after my, that, just, if 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 we run out of time, if we could set up another time with you, I would be I, uh, that would be amazing because then we, because I feel like you have so much to give. <laughs> <laughs> so much to give. Let us let us run. I'm happy to run the clock out. And uh, if we need to pick this up again soon, we can do that too. Okay, cool. And you just let us know too. If your wife says, I got to get on here, then you just, you know, then because we can always come back around in a couple whenever you're available. And, and well, there's a out. possibility that uh, we might not know, except suddenly, like, yeah, the, the, the connection got real bad real fast. We'll know. Right. We'll know pretty soon. Gotcha. So let's, let's sally forth. Let's okay. go. Let's keep going. So we're you good. start at DC and yeah. you were, a, you were, you're already a comic book fan. You've, yeah. we, we already discussed you read Death in the Family. Did you call in and kill Robin, or did were you one of the ones that said, don't kill him? Oh, I'll tell you the truth. I, 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 I did neither. I actually got, I got the book. It was probably at Polis. Yeah. I I think I got a uh, – they late? might have done a second printing. I think oh, I got gotcha. a late printing. Like, I missed the cutoff for sure. Oh, uh, okay. Um, I got I, lucky because my LCS said – the lady, I it was the paperback exchange that back then. It was I grew up in Bremerton and Washington, so did Johnny. And but there's this little comic book store. There wasn't a lot of them, obviously, in, yeah, in yeah, the 80s. Sure. There's one, it was ran by two ladies. It was called the Paperback Exchange. I loved it. And I went in and and at the time I was just starting to read DC. I was a big Marvel kid before that. Mm-hmm. And so she said, Hey, you should check out Batman because they're doing this whole series. She said, you should get this series. It's going to be a big deal. And then when they, she said, you know, they got the last one and it went, you know, they killed Robin. And then, and I was a bit, I was, I I would collect comic books, but my whole thing was I'd collect them. And then once they were worth like five, $10, I'd go back in and she (laughs) would exchange them. Most of them did it at 25% of the value. She did it at like 50 to 75%, like 60% like that. And then I wouldn't collect the money. I would just put it back into getting more comic books, more comics. So she was like, Hey, for, so for her, it was not not a big deal. She said, you should hold on to these for a, a little bit. And then like a month, those shot up to like 30 bucks a piece. 
Yeah, which is it was, it was so insane at the time. Yeah, it, it was, was insane. insane. Yeah. And she's like, "Hey, do you want to do, do you want to trade those in?" And I'm like, "Yeah." So I only owned them owned them for like a month and a half or something like that. <laughs> and I just got a bunch more comic books. And then and now you can get you can pick those up for like ten bucks a piece. It's criminal. Yeah. No. The yes. The first. The first. I mean, the first run of it too. Yeah. I I want to say they did a second. I can't. I can't remember for sure. Yeah. If they did a second. But you printing. got it after the cutoff. Yeah. No. I'd I'd missed it. Uh, in my mind, it was like an eternity. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it was like a couple of weeks. And I think, I, I don't remember if I tried to call in. I'm sure I didn't. Right. And you know what? I to be, to be totally honest, I spent a number of years post Red Hood lying about it because it made a better story. <laughs> and I, I, I said, I, call, I called in that, uh, that I wanted him to live because yeah. <laughs> I, knew, I knew it made a better story, you know, and then I got to, you and know, I, I got my, my, my just revenge <laughs> by bringing him back. But I did not call in, and had I had the chance to call in, I absolutely would have called in for him to die. I totally would have done that. I did. I called yeah, in for him to die. Did. They gave us the power of God. You know, they let us. They let us decide on killing something. Of course we did. We were terrible young people. Of course <laughs> you know, we did that. Dude, we're Generation X. We want everything well, we, to yeah, be bad. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, we probably were thinking that, like, like I wonder if they're really going to do it. You know, I mean, that was the whole thing. Is like we we didn't actually expect. It was going to really happen. Yeah. But it did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had to live with the quote that Denny O'Neill gave, which was on the back of the quickie trade they did, which I do have. Yeah. And the, the one that I got not long after, you know, the run finished, you know, Denny O'Neill said if, if they were to bring him back, it would be a really sleazy stunt. Now, <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to live with that for a number of years until I finally got to ask Denny about it. Yeah. Because I looked at it myself saying, oh, Jesus. So I'm sure Denny O'Neill's out there going like, like, Who's this? Who is this douchebag who like yeah. you know, undid all the work? And I did a joint interview with him. I think for Wizard Magazine a million years ago. That's so Denny O'Neill rest his soul. And for one, it was like it was a wonderful law. It was a conversation basically. They just put the two of us on the phone. Occasionally put a question to us, but it was basically just you know sort of recording the conversation. Yeah. So I got to ask him about that. He's like, Oh no, no. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean you. <laughs> I meant I meant I meant, I meant us. I go, what do you mean? He goes, no, what I was trying to say, if we brought him back, like a couple of months after he killed them off, it would be a really sleazy stunt. Yeah. I wanted people to know, like, no, this is for real. We're doing this. If we were to bring him back, it'd be a really sleazy stunt. It's like, that's what I meant. He said, no, I, and he got, you know, he's not, he told me. It's like, it's like, no, I like the Red Hood. He said, it's a great story. He's, and he told me what he enjoyed about it the most was, he said that it kept the tragedy of the loss of Robin intact. You know, said you didn't bring him back as a good guy. He brought him back as a bad guy. So and that's he said, still terrible and tragic. Yeah, it's like he's still dead in a way. Yeah, it's like oh, okay. So yeah, so I got I got Denny's approval. That's good. So I could no, I could it. I I I go. I always cling to that. Anyone tells me it's garbage, I go like yeah. Denny O'Neill doesn't mind it, so you shut up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Denny O'Neill says it's good. Then it's good. Yeah, I don't, I don't care what you think. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so you're at DC, and did they come to you and say we want to bring Jason Todd back, or do you go? I have this great idea. No, and actually, I didn't have the great idea. I was reading Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee's run on Batman, Hush. So I think it was a it was a twelve issues, a year long. So those playing at home on Red Hush, you go read Hush. Yep. I'm going to spoil a little bit of it right now. It's 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 past the line of demarcation. I think it's okay to spoil it, but you've yep. been warned to get red hush. <laughs> You're on Three, spoiler two, country. One. Here we go. You're on yep. spoiler Here country. Yep, you should know. So I'm reading Hush, which was an amazing uh, run on 
Batman. It just had everybody in it. Every villain imaginable. And the, the crux of it, there's a villain named Hush, whose face is completely obscured like a mummy. His, his head's wrapped up in bandages. And he seems to have a lot of inside dope on Batman. Yeah. is kind of his basic hook. And then in one of the latter issues, almost you know, like uh, towards the very end there, he whips off the bandages and it's revealed that he is Jason Todd. Who, who had thrown, who had been thrown into Lazarus Pit and has been revived, and oh man, you just could have knocked me over. I was just on my butt. I just thought that was amazing. So they brought him back, and he's a villain. It's like holy shit, this is great. This is like horrible. <laughs> this is a, I could see it. There's a hundred miles of broken road. This is going to be a great story. I saw the opera of it. Like wow, like you know, it's like I think this is. Is a stroke of genius. Is great, yeah. and then in the next issue, it turns out it's just Clayface. <laughs> like, oh, so it's not Jason Todd. Like, oh, okay, well, that's another way to go too. Okay, but when it got to be my turn, you totally just freaked um, me out because I'm like, I don't remember that much, and I'm like, oh yeah, it is Clayface. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Clayface. Yeah, no, it's, 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 like, oh right, it's Clayface. Okay, that's all disappointing. But yeah, so when I, so when, so and Bob was Bob was editing Batman. And, uh, you know, had mentioned to Dan Deal like a year before, yeah. that, uh, you know, post, uh, post Jeff and Jim that he wanted me to come board. And Dan was a big supporter of mine and signed me to an exclusive contract. Jeff, Jeff Johns and I were the first two people to be signed to exclusive contracts way back when. Awesome. So, so Bob was my rabbi, Dan was my guy and took very good care of me and, and helped me, you know, create really great stories. So anyway, Bob wanted me to do Batman. Dan was in on it. And I basically went to them with the idea, like, so what do you want to do? It's like, I want to bring back Jason Todd. And I told them what my idea was. It's like, I want to do it for real. And with this, starting with Dan, as I basically told Dan all about it over a really long breakfast at San Diego. And I, I basically just gave it to him, what was the ending of the story and Jason's motivations. And spoilers, you haven't read The Red Hood. I'm going to spoil <laughs> the ending right now. Um for one, the Red Hood's Jason Todd. If you don't know that, I can't help you. Um, <laughs> yeah, but the end of the story that I told Dan was that, you know, Jason confronts Batman with Joker there. Yeah. And Batman, more or less, is apologizing to him for not saving Jason. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't save you from Joker. And Jason puts it to him that this isn't about that you didn't save me. It's about the fact that he's still alive. Yeah. He took me from you, and that wasn't enough to kill him. I, I, he just, I despite love all that he's question. Done, yeah. Oh, and you know, and I, 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 I don't know when that idea had occurred to me, but I told it to Dan, and Dan said, "That's where that's where you end." Like, yeah. It's like, oh, I really like that. Go yeah. write that. Like, yeah. okay, thank you. I'll go write that. So I stole the idea from from Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee, and 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 just ran with it. <laughs> You're heavily influenced. Uh, no one stole anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am of the mind that all comic books. Basically, all comic book writing is fan fiction anyway. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, we're, That's a great these characters mindset. are they're eighty years old. Yeah, you know, you know, Batman is eighty years old, man. He's still, I don't know, twenty eight to thirty two years old, and you know, not not incredibly different from where he started. Right, and we're just Flushed all standing on the shoulders though. of giants. You know, I mean, I I was doing, I mean, I was doing stuff in my books that I thought of when I was twelve. Awesome. <laughs> you know, I love like, that. Man, I would like to see that happen, and you and you get to do it. Yeah, <laughs> you know. What was it like working on the movie? Oh, that was a blast. That was a lot of fun. That was because um, I thought they did a great job on oh, that yeah, movie. It was, it was That's amazing. one oh, of was, the better yeah, was, DC animated movies. Period. 
just that was that was fun, dumb doodah luck. Not long after, yeah. So the the Chris Nolan's second Batman movie came out. Dark Knight came out. Yeah, big big gigantic hit. Yep. And I had heard, you know, just through buddies and stuff, because we all talked that. DC animation was looking to do a new Batman feature and they were hoping to do something a little bit darker than they had before. Something with a little bit of teeth. I just, I, I'd heard that from, I forget who was working at the studio. I was like, Oh, well shit, I'm going to go, I'll pitch them. I'll pitch them red hood. So Gregory Novak was someone I knew for a number of years. And I, I basically pitched him over the phone. No, I think I even pitched him in person at San Diego. And he said like, Oh my God, you know, he dug it. And then I got to, I got to, I pitched it to Gregory again and Bruce Tim and some of the other executives. Nice. Yeah. I think that the only fun story about that is that I found out later that Bruce Tim, who everyone should know is, you know, was instrumental in making Batman, the animated series. And most of the animation you see, most of the superhero animation you see today is responsible for the way he changed things up anyway. Yep. So Bruce Tim told me later that he did not want to do this. No way. No, how it wasn't going to happen. We were not going to do this red hood movie. I was like, why? said, well, what I didn't figure, I, I said, I couldn't get around the fact like, well, we got to do death in the family. We got to do this whole story where Jason dies. Yeah. So, and we don't have time for that. You got to, you got to build up the whole thing. It's like, how do you do it? And I said, so what changed your mind? It's like, you, you pitched it to us and you did it as the teaser. You said you got through death in the family in the first four minutes of the movie. <laughs> before the opening credits you said so so you figured it out like oh is that all it was like yeah it's like i know like i'm listening to you and i'm, I'm thinking like oh he cracked it that's what we'll do he's right <laughs> he cracked it you, yeah you just need to you just need to kill jason off right away yeah and then you jump then you jump ahead five years like oh, okay we're gonna make this he said i don't even remember what you said after that i just you you, you got it you got me at like the teaser like oh okay yeah we're totally gonna do this that's and awesome so no, nah, it was a lot of fun. So, so I wrote the script for it, and which was a blast. I just basically took all the good parts out of the two years plus worth of comics I wrote, yeah, from my Batman run, and and you know made it into a feature script. And you know, Brendan Vanetti was the director on, it, and he's amazing. And you know, and it was it was great. It was really really great. Well, I was so you, pleased how it came out. You created a character that happens to be Johnny's uh, 13, 14 year old's favorite character of oh, all yeah. time in in Red Hood. He goes as the red. He went to his red hood for for Halloween this uh, last. And he made year. his own costume, and he, and he looked great. He he looked great. <laughs> he made his own costume. It looked amazing. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, under the, the really, under the really hood really movies, cool. his favorite animated movie. He's watched it. I cannot tell you how many times. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. That's very flattering. Tell him thank you. I will. Tell him really th- thank you. I really, I appreciate that. I'm very proud of the longevity. Of the character. I'm very proud to have added something to the canon. You know, it's cool. It's cool. You know, it's it's interesting that, you know, years and years later. I mean, like, right here, right now, sir. Right here, right now. Yeah. Hearing about your 14-year-old who, you know, I, I'm not even doing the math of when when my run came out. But was he even born? Uh, he was. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, he wasn't. He, he, was, he was before. Maybe? He was born in 08. So yeah. it was three years before he was even born. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. No, and here he is, and it's his favorite character. Oh, yeah, he loves you it. You know, it's nuts. Yeah, he. I'm I'm sitting I'm sitting in the room where I thought it up. <laughs> you know, I'm down here in my studio. That's and, awesome. And it's crazy to me that you know I'm looking over to where my desk used to be. <laughs> and I just moved it around since then. It's like yeah, over there. That's what I thought of it. 
and you know i'm talking to you and you got a 14 year old running around who like made a costume yep. <laughs> it's just it's nuts it's the most flattering and wonderful thing he in the spent world. he great. spent three he weeks yeah he spent three weeks finding the right jacket on amazon for us to buy for him for his costume like comparing it to the movie comparing <laughs> it to the comics figuring out which version of the jacket he wanted he 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 constantly comes to me and like wants to debate me about how Jason Todd Red Hood could beat anybody in kind of in comic world. It's <laughs> hilarious, and I love it. <laughs> That's outstanding. And, yeah, well, I, I was talking to you. And he goes, I, I go, do you have any questions for him? And he goes, well, just just tell him Red Hood's really really cool. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Jake, I'll tell him that. <laughs> You can tell him this. I agree that 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 Red Hood could beat anybody because he would cheat, yeah. <laughs> and he would, and he would, he would, he would, and he would cheat. He would cheat worse than Batman would cheat. That's the thing is that you know, Batman. Okay, just incredibly weird side. Uh, so one of my oldest friends is uh, is writer Brad Meltzer. Brad and I were uh, roommates in college, and Brad actually was like holding the video camera when I when I shot my real world video. Oh, cool, uh, Brad was the de facto publisher of my cartoon collection when I was in college. Like Brad, Brad and I like published it at Kinko's. And so he is my oldest friend. Anyway, we're, we're dorks and in college. And so I think a Saturday night when I was inking my comic strip, he and I were, you know, cause we're very, very cool. Brad sits down next to me while I'm inking. He's going to keep me coming. He's like, all right, then we're gonna do this right now. So in a lineup of justice league versus the Avengers, who would win? And, and this is what these very cool college students were doing. So one by one, we paired them off about who would fight who and how it would go. So I think our favorite moment was you got Captain America versus Batman. Yeah. And of course, uh, Batman would win because he would cheat. <laughs> uh, it was like we both came to that conclusion immediately. Like, oh, yeah, no, he would totally cheat. Like, because Batman doesn't. No, no, he'd be super there. prepared. <laughs> yeah, no, he's just going gonna to drop a smoke bomb. It goes off. Cap can't see. Suddenly his shield disappears, you know, and then he clocks someone, you know, and that's over. So <laughs> I say all that to say this. If you think Batman would cheat in a fight, oh, forget it. J- Jason Todd, <laughs> he's not playing fair at all. He could take out anybody because he play he fights dirty. So I'm right there with <laughs> oh, him. I, I always wanted to see a Justice League where the soup that like the, the, the people with superpowers, like the Wonder Woman's, the Flash, Superman just sit and rag on Batman for not being able to do anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they, like he tries to do something. They're like, Oh God, you're so slow or you're so weak or you're so, th- <laughs> it's always like, Oh my God. Cause they always prop him up to be this thing. But Johnny and I always talk about Batman has to have some kind of superpower. Cause the guy gets the shit kicked out of him time and time again. And he just doesn't get any permanent damage. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that's 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 the thing that, I mean, it's the thing with comics that sometimes people decide to get into the dumbest arguments about <laughs> some kind of minutia. Right. And then, and you want to fall back like, yeah, but how is Batman not dead? Um, Alfred's a you really know? good it's doctor. Like, Listen, you have no trouble, like, you know, you've got people who can fly, you know, right. that defy all forms of science and whatnot, but you want to argue about the fact that, you know, whatever. Dude, I called Superman yeah. a bully, and oh, Johnny God. made me turn the podcast <laughs> off to have an argument about it. It was more detailed than that. It was, so that. It was more nuanced than just saying it that. It was more detailed than that, but I mean, <laughs> we don't have a lot of time. So it's like, at the end of the day, I called him a bully. Then he gave me all these arguments, and I said, well, it's just comics. And that just, it, that was the, the, that was the, 
That was the and match was, to the fuse. It was off. It was off. It was, it was, off, off, man. It was, it was off and then on. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. We look about it now. It's so funny because it is. It's like, how do you, we're two grown ass <laughs> men with kids. How, how do you have an argument over Superman at this point? <laughs> hey, carefully. Brad and I still argue about uh, who would win in a fight, Superman or Hulk. And I, love uh, it. I, I fall into, I, I, I say Hulk. And uh, I think over know, time, Brad, Hulk over time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, they're like, well, uh, we've been having this argument for for for, for thirty years. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Brad's like, no, super, the, 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 whatever you say doesn't matter. In the end, Superman always has to win. Uh, Superman, <laughs> Superman is the strongest. And, and the Johnny like, goes, no, it's like, he threw yeah, a mountain Hulk. on top of the Hulk, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Hulk, Hulk actually, he's got range. He gets he gets angrier and he gets stronger. He does you know? And yeah, it's like, and then I again had this fight for thirty years. But you know what? It's a blast. It is a these blast. Are good, these are pre-internet fights, which are good fights yes. to have. This is They're when people actually fights. could, you could haggle about it. You could fight about it. When you found your buddy at some point who actually read comics, a lot of times, I mean, when I, I'm sure, Kendrick, I'm sure when you were a kid and when I was a kid, you know, you kind of read comics alone. Yep. And then when you went to the comic store, you wind up chatting up, you know, strangers. Yep. The guy at the register. The, you know, and that's when you're having your comic book conversations, pre-internet. Yep. You know? I, I was lucky. You I had know? a buddy that lived up the street that read comics. We read the New Mutants like they were going out of style. There you go. You actually had an actual person. To t- I, I In the I neighborhood. Did, yeah. That's, <laughs> I, I did not have a buddy that I could talk lucky. comics with for real until my freshman year of college when Brad and I met. And we met actually that's because so of comics. That's awesome. I, was, I, I became friends with his, his roommate. And uh, this is the first week of school. And I wander into his dorm room and I'm talking with his, his roommate who I'm, I'm like becoming buddies with. And there's a Teen Titans poster up on the wall. Yeah. And I said, I said, oh, I said, a cool Teen Titans poster. I said, George Perez, right? Which is like the secret handshake of nerddom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, I don't just know it's Teen Titans. I know Perez. <laughs> uh, so with that, Brad's like, yes, it is. <laughs> and, it. and we have been friends ever since that is awesome so that, was, that was 1988 and yeah so that 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 changed my life that's but, awesome uh, so yes but tell your boy yeah i think jason would win any fight i will tell him he'll be he'll be, he'll be super Senior. happy <laughs> <laughs> so judd when's the next hilo coming out let's see the next one comes out so it's done it's colored let's just i guess i'm vamping comes out february of next year I think tomorrow, I, I, I have the actual release date around here. To, tomorrow on the internet, so I'll be, we'll be showing the actual cover and begin pre-ordering book seven. Oh, that's so awesome. This is the seventh book in the series. And I should mention, it's actually, uh, the seventh book's a bit, well, it's not a departure. I should explain. So we have done six Hilo books. And uh, I'm talking to I'm talking to fanboys, so y'all will know. Yeah. So the first six books is the first story arc. The first book, the first six books wraps up our first big Hilo story. How many? I guess about 1,200. So a book a year, six books, and they're all around 200 pages. So, but you know, it's a, it's a fast read. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's for, it's for the kiddos. It's a fast read. That's but awesome. When, when Hilo gets to, when he first arrives on Earth, he has no memory. He doesn't, he doesn't have any superpowers, doesn't know why he's here, doesn't know what he's supposed to do. And a villain is introduced, but by the end of the sixth book, his memory comes back and yeah. he finally faces off with the big bad. And then our story ends. And with the uh, seventh book, we begin 
with our same three characters, but we pick up with a whole new story. Cool. So get the yeah, first we, six volumes if you want to catch up. Yep. And then you, you're ready for volume seven. Yep, exactly. For the second arc. I love it. Yep. Okay. That's awesome. Well, Judd, thank you so much for coming on, man. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. This so. was I'm glad, amazing. I'm glad this worked out. Yeah. yeah fun. Well, I don't know if we can convince you to come on again and talk more stuff. I would be happy to, we can, sir. We, we can yeah. debate superhero this is, fights. This is a good time. In these in these very, very difficult times, I think it's it's fun that we're st- we still get to do this. Yeah. You know, none of this is really affected by it. Yep. You know, yep. our ability to, to like, you know, get on the horn and talk about these things that we love. And I also, you know, I'm, as I said earlier, I'm extremely fortunate that I get to do what I do. And also... I got no grousing. Uh, I still love comics and I actually left superhero comics still loving them. Yeah. Um, that's good though. I know. Yeah. At some point I'll come back. It's, it is purely about time and maybe some creator a, like, owned story. Maybe we'll get a Judd Winnick Kickstarter that will put the world on fire. <laughs> <laughs> or some IDW or image comic. I'll never be doing a Kickstarter. <laughs> Kickstarters are hard, man. They're a lot of work. Kickstarter is hard. We Johnny just got done with us putting on a successful one. We're getting ready to ship, which is amazing. We got everything back from the printer. We oh, had five hundred pounds great, of comics yeah. <laughs> sent to the that's house. A great feeling. That's a great feeling when those boxes roll it is in. A good feeling. Yeah. And you br- and you break it up and so you, you you actually hold it in your hands. Yep. yep. And like look, look, it's a reality. It's a real thing. It actually it's a real happened. thing here. <laughs> you know, like look, I'm 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 fifty, and every time the books finally come in. You know, I get, we get, I get one advanced copy that is a, a, a printer copy. They print up like five or 10 before they go to the full print run. And when that bad boy comes in, uh, it's just the greatest feeling in the whole world. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's real. Here yeah. it is. You know, something you thought up of in your head and then it becomes a reality. So congrats to you, sir. Thank Kudos. you. Thank you. It's a long road, but it's, it was worth it when I held it in my hand. So for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Well, Judd, I, I will, we'll let you go. Have a great night and tell the wife and kids hello for us, if you don't mind. And man, we're going to reach out to you real soon because I I want you to get back on like ASAP because this was too much fun. And and (laughs) I kind of want to like, we got so many more things to talk about. Sure. I'm happy to. This was a delight. You guys are terrific. I enjoy the show and it's an absolute honor and a privilege to be on here. Oh, we appreciate that. So keep up the fine work and, uh, you know, be well, be safe and wear a mask. Yes. Wear masks. (laughs) Yeah, no cows. No cows. You gotta wear the real ones, guys. You can you can be like Batman in the sense that you should wear a mask not to protect yourself, but to protect those that you love and other people. That's why he wears the mask <laughs> to protect others. But he needs to cover his mucous membranes. Right. So, you know, gotta do that yes. too. <laughs> All right, man. We'll see you soon. You be well. Take care, guys. And we're back. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Judd was a really cool guy. I really hope to have him on again and talk about some more stuff. I checked out Hilo. I got the first book for my kids, and it's fantastic. I can't wait to read it to him. I haven't read it to him yet. I read it myself, but we're going to read it to my kids here in the next couple weeks. Judd, it's a fantastic series. I can't wait to get more of them. But that's it. That's the show today. So if you like that, go check out more at spoilers.com. Check us out anywhere podcasts are, you know, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, whatever. And, uh, you know, just search the book on your finance there on Splitters.com. See uh, our podcast, tons of other podcasts. We're working on a website redesign, so look forward to that pretty soon. 
lots of articles, lots of reviews. It's a lot of fun. So, uh, you know, there's one thing, one thing left to do, and that is, in oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu, and as Cthulhu compels you to do, open your mind and read. <laughs>